that give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico do join in at home. Marvellous Long John Baldry and uh, Mexico introducing our regular uh, Latin America spot. Uh, delighted to say we're joined by John Bonfilio from Campeche in uh, Mexico. Just a bit of a complaint first, uh, Mark. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when Stuart, your uh, deputy, uh, was sort of dragged off the bench <laughs> to, uh, to, to do the show. He, he sort of let the Mexico song run another mm. sort of five, yeah, ten yeah. seconds, oh, and we all enjoyed singing yeah. along a bit. Oh, you liked yeah, the, it. We all joined the, in. The, yeah. yeah, we there all joined go. in. It was, uh, yeah. I got that Martin said, all together yeah. now. Just yeah. Yeah. It was marvellous. Well, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm inferior to Stuart. I'll get him yeah. back yeah. next. Well, you are at this point. How hurtful. Yeah, we were high-kicking. It just... <laughs> just lifted the, it lifted the show that little bit. Yeah. You know how sometimes it sort of dips a bit. Yes. Um, well, this lifted it up rather nicely. Anyway, I'm only joking. <laughs> we do have John Bonfilio with us, uh, I'm delighted to say, from Campeche. Uh, John, a very good evening to you. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, good evening. I don't think anybody's going to complain uh, if we have an extra 30 seconds of Long John Baldry and uh, <laughs> 30 seconds fewer of me. <laughs> you say that you've got interesting news i read this story in the paper amazing uh, we were talking about the conmembol world cup qualification last week um this week we can talk about uh, what i thought we were going to talk about last week the Concacaf. um especially interesting uh, canada and the usa uh, have started scheduling matches in freezing locations and i saw this story two honduras players were treated for hypothermia <laughs> I mean, we've got all sorts of injuries you get in, in football matches but hypothermia is a new one on me tell me about that particular match yeah it looked um 19 degrees below uh, zero and wow. both as you say the usa and canada are deliberately scheduling matches in freezing locations over winter in order to get home advantage. It's a completely different kind of home advantage. You, get, you say you've got, you know, a, a, a Mexican player, a Costa Rican player that lives in I don't know, late 20s, mid 30s degrees Celsius and plays in those conditions and then has to suddenly turn up from one day to the next in freezing temperatures in Minnesota or Hamilton in, you know, the outer reaches of Canada. Wow. And of course, you know, they're going to be they're going to be uh, really struggle. And two players were, sub were substituted uh, from Honduras because they were, they were treated for hypothermia. Um, so, yeah, this is certainly, a, you know, a, I guess establishing a, a precedent. But actually, well, for the cold, it, th there is actually previous form in this because um, I don't know if you hark back about 15 years, but there was an altitude ban. Uh, in World Cup qualifiers in, in the region, more in Comebol than in CONCACAF, because uh, Bolivia, Colombia and Ecuador played their home matches at over 2,500 metres mm -hmm. uh, altitude. So players would, would, would come in, not be able to acclimatise and, and basically kind of go uh, dizzy and run out of breath by, by the second half. And there's some mm -hmm. famous footage of uh, some Jamaican players in Bolivia that were losing 1-0 at half-time and ended up losing, I think, 8-0 or or 8-1, because in the second half, the Jamaican players were just rolling around, literally drunk with, uh, with, with altitude mm. sickness. So, yeah, these, this last round of, uh, of matches in particular has highlighted this, I guess, this discrepancy about, um, you know, home sides being able to, uh, to just schedule matches wherever they, they want. The, the fundamentals of the qualifying with three matches left is that 
Canada, the USA and Mexico look likely to qualify automatically. And then Pan- uh, Panama and Costa Rica, uh, the two that are currently vying off for the, for the playoff spot. Uh, but both of them have to play against the big teams, the big three over the course of the next few few weeks. So we'll see which one of those two goes into the playoffs for um, for the World Cup. But but, uh, but certainly USA and Mexico haven't been you know, firing on all cylinders. And it's a, something of a surprise that Canada is well ahead of those two in terms of qualifying for Qatar. Yeah, well, they are, aren't they? Because Canada beat, uh, beat the USA, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they did. Uh, I, I, I think for any team to go up to, you know, the freezing outer regions of Canada and... Uh, and get a result is is asking a fair is asking a fair bit. Yeah, it's pretty cold here at the moment. It's what we call pretty cold, but um, <laughs> nothing nothing to compare with well Hamilton and Canada right up in the top there. Um, now another story, it's a political story. It's a, a story we've talked about quite a lot, and that's the Venezuelan economy, which is, as we know, it's a, it's a long-standing basket case. But um, there are signs, are there not, uh, John, that the uh, Venezuelan economy, the Bolivar, is uh, is picking up a wee bit? Yeah, Venezuela is surprisingly mired in a good news controversy. For the first time wow. in about yeah. eight eight years, I mean, you look as you say historically, you know what Venezuela has gone through since about 2013, 2014 is basically, you know, amongst the worst socioeconomic crises in modern history, bar none. And and everybody's been a little bit surprised that the Bolivar has largely held its value against the dollar for the last four months, considering the fact that in in October, you know, another six zeros actually came off the currency. So it's been relatively um, stable, and one of the reasons for that is the is the increased uh, cost of oil, which obviously you know makes the headlines in in the UK at the moment in terms of fuel bills. But that's definitely assisting Venezuela in terms of foreign currencies. And then the other things, which perhaps surprisingly have have come to the rescue of uh, of the country recently, are uh, gold mining, which we spoke about recently in terms of you know the, the some of the catastrophic uh, environmental effects of it. But there's a fair bit of gold in them there, Venezuelan hills. And then surprisingly, um, the burgeoning economic sectors of, uh, of shrimp farming and harvesting, uh, rum and cocoa, and much to everybody's surprise, the fact that uh, Nicolas Maduro, super bigot, the super moustache, has actually opened up the economy uh, somewhat. And last year, it, uh, it underwent its first economic in- expansion in eight years. So yeah, it does seem as though there is finally, for the first time in basically a decade, a little bit of light a thin sliver of light at the end of that long, dark tunnel for Venezuelans. Yeah, but you, you wonder whether there are other people there. To, you know, there's been such a exodus of people from uh, Venezuela, you know, over, over the border and into Mexico and into the United States, that you wonder if there's anybody there to farm the shrimps and mine the gold. Totally. And actually, just this last week, there were protests in Chile about Venezuelan migrants. And and again, as as you say, statistically, I mean, you know, whichever way you measure or don't measure these things uh, is is open to to debate. But basically, somewhere between a third and a quarter of Venezuelans have left the country in the last five year period. I mean, that is, you know, again, one of the, the biggest migrations in in modern history and certainly the biggest internal human displacement that Latin America has ever seen, bar none. Yeah. Um, just finally, Havana syndrome, we've talked about it 
a fair bit, but not everything we've heard about it is entirely. I mean, it, p opinions on that Havana syndrome, exactly what it is and what's causing it and where it comes from, sort of seem to differ. Every couple of weeks, we get a new uh, report which uh, disagrees with sort of previous theories about Havana syndrome. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and of course, you know, politics is at play in this a little bit as well. And when when we hear every day, you know, tensions rising. Uh, on the border with Ukraine, with the US and Russia, th these things play into that as well. This obviously refers to the unspecified brain trauma, you know, which initially was discovered in uh, in Havana for uh, US and some Canadian uh, diplomats. And just two weeks ago, the CIA, the official CIA report, basically said there's nothing to see here, that these hundreds of people who've been affected with these, uh, you know, uh, varying brain tr uh, trauma injuries, uh, that it was all potentially viably could be could have been caused by atmospheric um, and, and natural phenomena without ever actually detailing what what these were. But actually just uh, yesterday, a panel of uh, expert scientists actually said that, you know, it was uh, totally feasible that uh, this was generated, that these injuries were generated by pulse electromagnetic and, and ultrasound waves, brackets generated by a foreign hostile power. And, and particularly interestingly, they've, they've listed that this could have been, you know, that these weapons would hypothetically require modest energy, could be used over hundreds of meters and, and also be operated through walls. And the reason why these uh, this panel of expert scientists know this, surprise, surprise, is because the U.S. Marines were testing a similar weapon in the 1990s called Medusa. And the only reason that they didn't move forward with it is because they, they said that it was actually ethically impossible to test on on humans. So if you, you know, scratch under the surface of this, uh, you know, fundamentally, whatever these, whatever the governments are saying, these weapons do exist um, and are very likely to be currently in use uh, you know, between between foreign governments. And the CIA report it largely discredited these theories because they don't want to be, they don't want to admit publicly that you know, foreign hostile power actually has these weapons and is employing them against its, its uh, diplomatic staff in a variety of different uh, countries. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting because, you know, especially with the uh, with the standoff over Ukraine at the moment, we're getting these claims and counterclaims that um, this sort of um, these sort of um, events are taking place. You know, the, the, so the Americans have said the Russians may be faking attacks on their own troops. And, you know, the Americans have made sort of tit for tat claims as well. So, um Anything we hear about Havana syndrome is sort of uh, is possible, really. It's on the table, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very very viable. And and the other thing is, you know, I'm not saying that you know the media uh, circles that we exist in, Martin, aren't, are intrinsically uh, biased and deliberately biased, but we definitely have a particular worldview, which is you know a Western centric worldview, and and where you know, Russia or or China or even different countries in Latin America present. Um, you know, news stories internationally, they, they come at it from a very different angle. So for sure, there are, you know, there's all manner of possibilities out there. And much of the prism of what, of what we see the international news cycle through is, is largely myopic and, uh, and, and one-sided mm -hmm. and largely not agreed on by you know, vast swathes of the rest of the, the countries on earth. Indeed, indeed. Um, thank you ever so much, John. Really appreciate it. Um, now, uh, Mark, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Oh. Be yes, we've been talking about Havana syndrome. Yes. 
and people at home are thinking, God, I'd love to hear a piece of music that is in some way sort of connected with uh, Havana Syndrome. Well, it make you feel ill. Um, not so much make you feel ill, but make you feel a little bit of that Cuban vibe, oh. you know, a little bit of that um, Havana feeling. Could you do it for us, do you think? Go oh, all right, Poss- then. Possibly. That's the one! <laughs> What a fine piece of music. Yeah. Is this on your playlist, uh, John? <laughs> yeah, every, every morning this is what I wake up to. <laughs> so you should. What a great tune it is to wake up to. Thank you very much indeed, John Bonfilio in uh, Campeche. And uh, well done, Mark. Yeah, I used to play this in the Chelsea days all the time. Mm. It was a, a, a real floor filler, this. Do oh, you, yeah. I mean... Yeah, Jed, you, you've done discos and things yeah. over the years. I might be too young for this, really. But, no, no, when uh, we did, um, sort of in the party, like we used to call them party bars, so lots of stags and hens mm, had come yeah. into like, certain bars of Blackpool. This this was, um, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd whack this on, and um, you'd, yeah, you'd see on. the blokes trying to salsa up to women, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, clearly out of the league, <laughs> you know. So. Absolutely, yeah, yeah brilliant. Excellent. Thank you to John Bonfilio. As uh, always, talk to John again uh, next week. Uh, 